there are uh, two natural times of uh, kind of new beginnings in our lives that we can experience uh, related to the natural cycles. One of them is the time that we celebrate as the new year, which is the time of the coming of light. And I love actually doing a retreat at the time of the winter solstice. It's a very natural time for new beginnings. The light, at least in the northern hemisphere, is the least that it is all year, and then something increases in terms of light. And of course, uh, in the earth and the natural world, things are very much starting to come alive again. And there's also a time, which is the time right now, which is also a kind of a natural beginning. And for a lot of cultures, there's something like a harvest festival. And it's seen as the uh, time of new beginnings. And we have that very much in terms of the school year uh, that begins right around now, it, although it's getting earlier and earlier, isn't it? Now, it's, I heard some schools began in mid-August. So I think the connection with the harvest has been lost. And so, but in any case, there's, there's this uh, sense of new beginning. We have it with our schools, with, with our fiscal years often, and so forth, that the new beginning occurs at the time when the harvest is complete or close to complete. And as some of you know, uh, today is also a holiday which reflects that kind of new beginning. It's actually today is in the Jewish tradition as Yom Kippur. And I read that in, uh, in Israel, virtually no one actually even drives a car on Yom Kippur. I was reflecting on that being uh, in the traffic around the Richmond Bridge coming from the East Bay where there was worse traffic than in uh, the last few months. But in any case, so, uh, so I wanted to actually take advantage of this day to talk about uh, new beginnings and bring in some of the spirit of Yom Kippur. For observant Jews, today would be a day of fasting, of uh, fasting from last night until sundown, about 25 hours. Actually, no water, not just no eating, but quite a serious fast, and the attention is more inward. It's taken, actually, to be the holiest day of the year and comes at the end of nine days of reflection about one's directions and also uh, uh, what is usually called repentance for actions that have been unskillful, asking for forgiveness in certain ways. And it's a meaningful day to me in part because uh, my father uh, died 10 years ago on Yom Kippur. And so it's, it actually, I talked with friends who were among the Jewish mystics, and they said, very good day to die. <laughs> you know, and it said that the, uh, the gap between the earth and the heavens is the least that it is all year round today, actually. I don't know if you have to be part of that tradition for that to hold, but <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what is said. And so there's a special emphasis on seeing one's shortcomings or areas where one wants to ask for forgiveness, doing so for the sake of learning and moving forward rather than bringing in self-judgment. And so I want to bring in some of these themes of there being a sense of a new beginning connecting with our deeper intentions, and also looking for places in our lives where we want to uh, ask for or offer forgiveness, and have that be a theme which connects with our sense of um, moving on, letting go of what we might want to let go of, and reconnecting with deeper intentions. Ideally, we do this quite often. 
You know, and in a sense, our practice is designed to help us to uh, come back continually, to let go continually of reactivity and relationship to the past, to work with forgiveness, to keep connecting with deeper intentions. This is a regular practice, but there are also times when we do this in more depth. <coughs> Just this way of, no matter what the past has been, coming back to the present, which in some situations is easier than another than another situation. So I like very much uh, something from Winnie the Pooh. Do you have Winnie the Pooh in Italy? Yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Uh, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are walking down the road, and uh, Pooh asks Piglet, what day is it? And Piglet answers, it's today. <laughs> and Pooh answers back, my favorite day. <laughs> And yet at times, you know, we have, we're weighted by the past, you know, and it's hard to let go of the past. There's reactivity in relation to the past. I think a lot of a line from uh, the novelist uh, William Faulkner, you know, who was writing in the 20th century a lot about the South, which was at this time of his writing was caught in the Jim Crow system of, uh, you know, racial oppression. And he said, he's had a line which has stayed with me. He said, the past isn't gone. He said, the past isn't even past. We can see that in terms of certain aspects. And, you know, I was some of the people I've uh, find uh, a lot of admiration coming in me is from people who've had very difficult pasts but who somehow can come to the present, let go of those paths, and touch uh, wisdom, and touch love, and not be caught by the past, even though they're very strong. You know, people who've had difficult childhoods, or people who've had very difficult situations. And I know it, it moves me a lot to, you know, be with people I know who say, I'm not going to let what's happened in the past weigh me down. I'm going to tr work with it. Not easy, right? Um, there's a beautiful, it was a beautiful moment that I heard about from uh, Cornell West, where he talked about uh, what happened in 1955. There was, a, some of you may know, there was a, a lynching of a young man named Emmett Till. There have been quite a few songs on this in 1955. I think it was, was it in uh, Mississippi? I think so. And he was a young boy from Chicago who went down to visit some of his cousins. And the story is that he said something to, uh, uh, a, he was African-American, he said something to a white uh, young woman who was a clerk at a store. Some say that he, made, he whistled. And uh, uh, a group of white men came uh, to where he was staying. I don't know if it was later that day, I think so abducted him and murdered him and put his body in the uh, Tallahatchie River nearby, which was traditional method in those times. And his body was found and was brought back to uh, Chicago for uh, a funeral. And against the wishes of many, he, uh, his mother said, I want everyone to see the state of the body, which was bloated and deformed. You know, I think his head was five or six times the usual size. And people went by there and she made some comments at the funeral, uh, which to me I found very, very moving. She said, I don't have a minute to hate, but I will, I will work for justice for the rest of my life. So some, somehow the, the capacity to be with that pain and still keep connected with what was most important. Quite remarkable. You know. say a uh, quite remarkable moral moment in the history. You know. 
So we, we have this aspect, this challenge of our practice of how do we stay connected to our deeper intentions? How do we do this on a daily basis? How do we keep renewing ourselves? How do we let go of what's holding us? Um, not easy, you know, not easy to do that. One method that I have used uh, a lot is I work with daily vows. Very ancient practice that can be helpful. Uh, you know, and this is why at the beginning of the, the sitting, I invited us to connect with our deeper intentions. It's a wonderful practice that we can do. And we can call forth our deeper intentions even if we don't feel them absolutely fully. Just remembering what they are can be helpful. And so I remember there was a period of time when I, when I with a friend, we made vows together. And my, my vow was, I vow to bring presence and kindness to every moment. Very simple. And doing that with a friend gave a lot of uh, increase in power for that vow. And I kept with that for many years, just making that vow periodically. And lately, you know, I have a vow which I try to say four times a day, which, uh, you know, before breakfast, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And when I'm meditating, I always start with that. You know, to which, uh, again, it's, uh, sometimes it's more alive than at other times, but it's, it um, comes back at certain times of challenge, you know, the vow. So, so my vow is, I intend, I'll, I'll give you the beginning of it, and I've, I've given it a f- at times uh, these Wednesday mornings, I intend to awaken for the benefit of others. And then I have uh, some moments of gratitude, just seeing what I'm grateful for, and then I say, may I be... Uh, it's always hard to remember it, like on the spot, even though I say it four times a day. <laughs> May I find peace and serenity uh, in the midst of phenomena. May I find peace and serenity in the midst of phenomena. May my demons and dragons become allies and helpers. Feel free to take any of these. <laughs> yeah. uh, may I penetrate deeper and deeper into emptiness, which is a Buddhist term. Uh, may I, may I open to luminosity. May I open to compassion. May I be a conduit for the Dharma to manifest on this earth. May joy always be with me. May compassion always be with me. And it continues on with some other elements. But saying those four times a day helps. And the vows help. They don't guarantee anything, but they help. So this is this is a tool we might find we might find helpful to. Uh, bring that connection with deeper values. Traditionally, uh, in, in the Buddhist traditions of uh, Southern Asia, you know, the, one, the traditions we call Theravadan, uh, the, the uh, traditions of Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka and so forth, that, uh, what we find in the early texts um, are uh, a series of reflections, which are often are carried out daily. This is a text called Ten Subjects for Daily Reflection. These are ten things that a person who is a practitioner should reflect on often. Which ten? And so these may be... Uh, I can give the reference for this for those who might like to use this. But I think if you Google Ten ref- Subjects for Daily Reflection, you might, you should be able to find it, but it's for, for anyone interested. It's from the Dasa Dhamma Sutta, D A S A, Dhamma D H A, M M A. These are ten things that one should reflect on and see if some of these resonate with you. And you might want to have daily reflections. I am no longer living according to habitual aims and values. In other words, I've shifted. My very life is sustained through the gifts of others. So you see there's an invitation to reflect on interdependence and generosity, which can kind of feel, you can, one can feel connected, less separate, and, feel, and be uh, reminded of generosity. I should strive to abandon my former habits. I think that's referring to bad habits. 
does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? And you know, there is in the Buddhist tradition as well as in many traditions, including the Jewish tradition related to Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, an important place for reflected candidly about one's own shortcomings or where one falls short. Again, not in the spirit of self-judgment and being harsh to oneself, but in the spirit of learning and being very honest. And there, there actually are uh, uh, technical terms which are not taught very much for some reason in the West called Hiri and Otapa. Sylvia really likes them. She may mention them from time to time. And they're usually translated as moral shame and moral dread. But it's a sense of really being tuned in to where one falls short, especially morally, and letting that lead one to learn, to act more fully. So again, the challenge for us with Western conditioning is to do that without just having it turn immediately into self-judgment and going into the rabbit hole, as we say, (laughs) the rabbit hole of self-judgment. It's hard. Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? That's the fourth. Could my spiritual companions find fault with my conduct? Again, inviting us to look at this and be quite honest. Number six, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated with me, from me. So partly here, there's the bringing in a reflection of impermanence and change as a uh, starting point for asking what's most important. I am the owner of my own kama, or karma, or actions, heir to my kama, born of my kama, related to my kama, meaning that um, my actions have consequences. My skillful actions increase my skillfulness following my bad habits or my unskillful actions will increase my tendency to do those again. The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? That has a certain edge to it. (laughs) Again, but it's not taken to become morbid or depressed. It's taken in the context of uh, calling forth one's deeper connection. So you see, they're tricky issues, aren't there? But how to use these. Again, I think we have different conditioning. I know this very well from teaching retreats on transforming the judgmental mind. And actually, uh, since I have last seen you, I have taught uh, two retreats on that and entered into that territory. And that conditioning is quite strong for many or most of us. And so working with the, working with seeing where we fall short um, is tricky because it can easily trigger the self-judgment. Number nine, do I delight in solitude or not? So I think this is about being able to be with one's own mind. Can I be with my own mind and heart and body for the purpose of training? It's not so much do do I delight being totally separate from everyone else, but can I appreciate the moments of solitude where I'm just with myself, where I have to be honest with myself, where I, where I intend to learn from watching my mind. In a sense, uh, when we meditate, we delight in solitude. That's, I think, what this is getting at. Has my practice borne fruit with freedom or insight such that at the end of my life I need not feel ashamed when questioned by my spiritual companions? Again, deep questions. And some of you also know in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there is this invitation to reflect on four areas, which are called the four areas of reflection, which turn the mind to practice. And I occasionally teach teach on these. Uh, The first is reflecting on the preciousness of a human birth, that this is, in the Buddhist cosmology, a rare occurrence. We may take it for granted, but it's a rare occurrence in a certain way. It's a rare, special, and precious occurrence to have the capacity to blossom in love and wisdom 
and generosity and courage and to touch the depths of human life. This is not to be taken for granted, I think, is what's being pointed to. The second is, again, the reflection on impermanence and the fact of death. And when one reflects on this, one may sometimes say, am I really doing what I want to be doing? Again, similar to the uh, text I just read, the third reflection is about the uh, reality of what's called karma and its consequences, which is, again, that my actions have consequences. And every moment I'm acting in certain ways which influence the future. Every moment of kindness creates the likelihood of more kindness. Every moment of greed increases the likelihood of more greed. What do I want to be doing? Again, so this can be sobering and can be, can be done in a constructive way. And then the fourth is called the shortcomings of samsara, <laughs> which means the shortcomings of being ruled by greed, hatred, and delusion. That this actually is not a great strategy. <laughs> So in these reflections, there's in part this reflection on my own so-called shortcomings. In the uh, Jewish tradition, the term, I forget the exact term, but it can be translated as missing the mark. So it has a a reference to the positive. And I think in reflecting on shortcomings or difficulties or areas we want forgiveness for, I think it's very helpful to tune into the positive. I I was thinking probably a skillful means for any of us who are looking at so-called shortcomings is first to reflect on our beautiful qualities and what we appreciate about ourselves and our lives. So let me just invite that for a moment. Just reflect silently about what you appreciate. Let's see what comes to mind first. What you appreciate about your life and on your good qualities. If you could just put into one word uh, something that you appreciate in your life, do that, and then let's hear just a few words. If you could just say one word reflecting that appreciation, what would you say? Just speak and speak up. Friends. Friends. Safety. Safety, yeah. Life. What? Life. Life. Love. Love. Family. Nature. Nature. Curiosity. Curiosity. Resources. Resources. Beauty. Beauty. Kindness. Kindness, yeah. Teachers. Teachers. Thank you. Yeah, and then can also have that reflection on our good qualities. I'll have that be silent to avoid awkwardness of broadcasting and putting onto a recording which will go out to millions. <laughs> Your own good qualities. So. Just to reflect silently on one or two or three of your good qualities. And I think that's important to go to appreciation of what's in our life and of our good qualities before moving to this area of shortcomings. And so let me then go to that area and ask, this will be silent, just ask each of us. And you can uh, write as much as you'd like here. What are one or two areas 
where you have fallen short, so to speak, spiritually, and want to make a new start in any part of your life. And you can use whatever understanding of fallen sh- falling short makes sense for you. What, where am I spiritually out of alignment with my deeper values? Just think of one or two areas where you'd like to make a new start. reflect on different areas. We might reflect on, again, echoing the ancient text. How do I use my time? How do I take care of my body, for example? Do I take good care of my body? Do I hold myself with compassion? Is my work in alignment with my deeper values? How about my main relationships? How much do I prioritize my deeper intentions? Do I sometimes become too busy to give any room for my deeper intentions? How am I prioritizing helping others? including helping with the larger issues of our world. Do I attend to my own responsibility as a citizen? What is done in my name and my relation to different large problems? Do I want to devote a little more energy to addressing one or more of these larger issues, such as economic inequality, healing from racism, war and violence, including the issues related to refugees, climate disruption, Do I feel called to give some more attention in this area? Is there an area or is there some something that I hold in relationship to another or to myself that I want to forgive? Again, remembering that uh, forgiveness, especially as we work with it in, in our traditions of mindfulness and loving kindness, relates to acknowledging that holding reactivity in relationship to other herself from the past is connected with my suffering. If I hold on to a grudge or some resentment, again, towards another or towards my past, this is a way that I'm still bound by the past. I'm still reactive. And forgiveness isn't about saying that what happened was okay. It's not about condoning it. 
And forgiveness can go hand in hand with trying to have what happened never happen again, or to not being in contact with a given person. But forgiveness is really about looking at how does that reactivity affect me? Jack Kornfield says that forgiveness is giving up the hope for a better past. And for the bigger things, we cannot uh, really rush forgiveness. Sometimes we have to go through anger or the reactivity, and there's a natural process that we can intend to forgive, but maybe there is still anger or resentment. But as we bring it to mind and experience it, there's a process that leads to a shift. So let me ask, is there, is there an area in your own life where you want to forgive either yourself or another person for something that happened? Something that you're ready to let go of? Some reaction, some resentment, some lingering anger? And in some cases, at this time, one would actually ask another person for forgiveness and talk about your own process. I had a friend yesterday who told me that someone sent a very heartfelt email regretting what had happened six or nine months ago. Very heartfelt, deep inquiry and it healed something. This person was coming actually out of a lot of deep looking and communicated with this other person. And I think it resulted in some actually ability for these two people actually to be in contact again, where they had not been able to be for six or nine months. So just seeing is there something that calls us in that way. And then the last part, for the last part, I want to, uh, again, invite you to use your paper and ask yourself, uh, in three different areas, what are your most important intentions or aspirations? I want, so I'm inviting one intention or aspiration for each of three areas in your life. The first is, for yourself, the second is for your relationships, and the third is for your, um, for what you will offer to the world. I invite you to write down an aspiration for deep intention in each of these three areas. Again, for your own self, your personal life first, second for your relationships, and third for what you will offer to the world or are offering to the world. I'm going to take a few minutes to, to do this now. And so you might end up with three, uh, three sentences, maybe. Three aspirations. And you might, those might become your vow that you do once a day, or if you want, or like me, try to do them four times a day. Let's just give some time for reflecting again. 
one sentence, ideally for each of the three, the aspirations for the next period of time. You might think of it even for the next year. So finish up now. I think we'll end uh, I'll end with uh, two one quotation and one uh, short account. Uh, the, the quotation is from uh, Dr. Seuss, um, If I Ran the Zoo. And for our friends from Italy, Dr. do you have Dr. Seuss in Italy? <laughs> yes? <laughs> Don't need to explain. <laughs> Very good. Um, this is related to the, uh, this, the sense of sensing where we need to change. This is from Dr. Seuss. It's a pretty good zoo, said young Gerald McGrew, and the fellow who runs it seems proud of it too. But if I ran the zoo, said young Gerald McGrew, I'd make a few changes. That's just what I do. I chose that because I think it's relevant for the day. <laughs> okay, and then, then the just to end with uh, again a sense of this sense of making beauty and connecting with these beautiful intentions out of where we sometimes fall short. And I was reflecting on a whole way of. Um, working with pottery that I learned about from Ruth King, which is a Japanese tradition. It's a, it's a ritual of taking, um, taking broken pottery and mixing the pottery with powdered gold or silver to take what was broken and make something beautiful out of it. It's called kintsugi. <laughs> I'm pronouncing it right. And it's a whole art form where one works with what is somewhat broken or damaged and then or somewhat has shortcomings. And yet one engages in a process where it gets mixed with silver or gold and becomes something absolutely beautiful. And this is what we continually do. We see where there are limitations, which there have to be as human beings, and we reconnect with our deeper intentions for the year, for a period of time, for a day, for a moment. And so let's end by each whispering our three intentions. 
Okay? We'll do this together. Okay, you ready? I'm doing it this way because intentions expressed publicly, and this counts even though it's whispered, <laughs> intentions expressed publicly take on more power. Okay? This is your choice. You don't have to do it, but it's an opportunity. The power is out there. So, ready? I'll have to, I don't know what I'm going to do with this recording for now. <laughs> Take your mic off. Take my mic off. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Whisper. So may these intentions expressed publicly gain more power. May they guide us in multiple ways. And ultimately, may they lead to great benefit for all beings, always remembering that we are part of all beings. So we're asking for that benefit to be there also for us, individually, this group, and beyond. So... Thank you for your kind attention. And we have some time for uh, any questions. So we can use the microphone and we can, can keep things going. Any, any questions about this process of uh, rededicating ourselves, reconnecting with our deeper values? The vows, forgiveness, any questions about anything in this whole process? Or reflections or comments? Or if anyone wants to share your intention? How many of you had something a little bit surprising surface as a intention that you didn't necessarily know about or expect? Yeah, several of you. Yeah. I'd like to say something. I find it, even though, even though I've heard it before, yeah. I think it, it really helps me to hear it again and again that when you do this sort of uh, exercise, practice, yeah. you should have come in that it really is enriching. Yeah. And at the bottom line, you know, for me, it makes me feel better. Yeah. I feel better. I feel, you know, I feel different. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and again, it's, uh, we have to be careful if this would bring up any kind of triggering, I'm not okay, I'm not good enough, which I know from the work with the judgmental mind is very widespread. Some colleagues use the word endemic in this culture, right? And so we have to be careful with that. But can we, can we take uh, places where we fall short? Or just, you know, again, t- you have to take what seems most valuable to you. For some, it might be the forgiveness that really connects. Okay, I've held this with this relationship for six months. I think I want to m- ready for it to move in some way. Yeah. And again, uh, different traditions work in different ways. Some people sort of renew basic intentions once a week. You know, I've been in communities where that happens, sometimes once a week. Uh, I like doing it in the fall and then January 1st. (laughs) You know, unfortunately in this culture we connect January 1st with other activities other than purely rededicating oneself to deep spiritual intentions. Probably in many cultures, right? Do Do you have big parties? Uh, New Year's Eve, yeah, I think so. Okay, please. Um, just, I wanted to give you a... Is this on? Yeah. Yes. I wanted to give you a vote of confidence <laughs> um, because a couple of years ago you asked us to do something similar. I think it was a different talk, but oh, yeah. we did a similar talk. And, and I decided I really wanted to work on generosity. Yeah. And I... 
I hadn't thought about it a lot until we were doing this exercise, but I realized I have been working on it, and it's really made a shift. Yeah. It really has made a difference, and I feel better for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I want to renew it and continue. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, so uh, intentions are very, very powerful. They don't guarantee anything, but they're very powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, and so working with intentions, you know, just to, and you know, if you bring that to mind, let's say every day, maybe you go into a difficult meeting <coughs> or a difficult discussion, and you remember generosity, and it has an impact. Right? That's how that's how all this works, right? At a certain moment, uh, one's deeper intentions show up. You know, <coughs> I can rem I can remember uh, being in a spiritual community in England. It was a Buddhist community in Southwest England, and they were, uh, they had a policy of accepting guests, and they were just having a lot of guests, and people were getting irritable about all the guests, as you might imagine, and they just were talking about it, and yet in the discussion, they were just staying on the level of, I like this, I don't like this, and then someone just said, well, what about compassion? Isn't that a core value? And all of a sudden, everyone said, Yes, this is our practice. We can work with this. And it shifted the discussion totally when they brought in that deeper intention. Right? You can just, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. This is what I want to go, what I want to do. It's not to say in some other situation it would have been the right decision to throw the guests out. <laughs> Might be. Yeah. Thank you. Other observations, thoughts, questions, sharing? Uh, here's Debbie up front. It may have the same ultimate uh, conclusion of compassion of what, what we were just talking about, but one thing that it brings up for me is some anger that someone I'm in relationship with isn't isn't working on their shortcomings. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's good. It, it, yeah. yeah. And, and what do you do with that anger? I don't, I, that's oh, what sorry. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. You know, um, this is a big, big issue. Right? It's like, um, one of the great challenges of spiritual practice, particularly related to relationships, is what we might call lack of reciprocity, including the lack of reciprocity of the other person doing inner work. And there are moments when you have to ask the question, this other person isn't doing inner work or bringing ethical reflection to what's happened, is actually not going anywhere inwardly, apparently. What do I do? And just to know this is challenging. So if there's anger, that's there to be felt. In all of the practices we do, we hold the horizon of meeting every circumstance with wisdom and kindness. That's the horizon. But we don't force that on the situation. But we hold the horizon in that way. So we say to ourselves, I may not be feeling uh, love or kindness in this situation because it's too hard or it's, it's just not coming. But the wisdom part of our practice says, I would like to be able to do that. Mm. That's why when we do metta practice, the horizon is not just metta towards a closed circle of friends, but it's actually metta towards everyone, towards all beings. And those of you who've gone through the training of loving-kindness know that part of the training involves bringing loving-kindness to a so-called difficult person. Right? So how do I do that? That's an aspiration. And when we actually do that part of the training, it's actually harder. And so we hold that deep aspiration that comes out of our wisdom, which says that it's possible to have love or kindness even where there's been 
something that's happened which has been uh, unskillful, unethical, and where the other person maybe just shuts down. But do we know that that, in terms of what I like to call degree of difficulty, is hard? And we practice more where it's not so hard. Right? But so, so we know that we can see the Dalai Lama saying, my friend, the Chinese. Right? Or we can, you know, some of the people, we most, or we can go to that example of uh, the mother of Emmett Till, Mamie Mobley, Mamie Till Mobley, who said, I'm not going to hate for a moment more in my life. I'm going to pursue justice right after her son was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a remarkable example. We don't need to force ourselves to be there, but we can take that as an aspiration. And concretely, that means that sometimes we just need, we need to be with what's there. In the loving-kindness practice or forgiveness practice, the phrases express the intention. So we have a forgiveness phrase. If you have harmed me in any way, consciously or unconsciously, I offer forgiveness as much as I am able to right now. And we do the practice. Typically, we don't go to the most difficult examples, but even with people with whom there's some difficulty, we offer that, and maybe at some times, what comes up is anger. Mm. And that's fine. And we work with it. But what comes up is a wall. You know, it's like, I'm not going there. Right? That's fine. Because all of these are practices, and we let the uh, deeper intention be carried by the phrases in terms of how we actually do the practice. Loving kindness, we offer phrases. May you be happy, may I be happy, and, and so forth. And the phrases convey the intention, and then we let whatever happens happen. We often talk about these practices as purification practices. It's not like we just instantly produce love. That's not how it works at all. You know, we do the, these practices where the wisdom says, this is a horizon for me, we do the practice, and then we find what stands in the way of kindness. Distraction, busyness, resentment, reactivity, anger, and so forth. And we just work with that. So we keep on doing that. And some forms of uh, reactivity, it may not be the right time to forgive or to move on. And sometimes we have to actually sit with the anger for quite a while. Depends on the intensity. Please. I was remembering a compassion practice I did while I was taking a a class here. And um, the object of my compassion was, I think I've told this story here before, uh, a gentleman who was um, uh, exhibiting road rage behavior against myself and my husband when we were driving. And two, two, two points. One is that repetition of the compassion practice yeah. over and over over a period of days was what led me to see it differently. Right. Um, so, so doing it over and over again was helpful. Great. It, yeah. it, at first, all that came up for me was fear yeah. and anxiety and, and, and aversion towards that situation. There was no way of changing I was never going to see this person again. I was right. no way of changing that past behavior. But over time, I was able to develop compassion for this person. And so what changes is not necessarily what the other person does or doesn't yeah. do. What changes is your attitude and your reaction to it. Yeah, that, that, can, that can always change. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, I, I like to say that uh, in, any given, in any given relationship, um, there are five possible modes of practice. I can do my own inner work. I can be skillful in my speech, number two. Number three and four, the other person can do his or her own uh, inner work, own skillful work with speech. And number five, we can collaborate together. In many situations, only two modes of practice are possible. Which are those? <laughs> you got it. One and two. <laughs> right? And so that's, that's always important to remember. And your point is great, too, that um, repetition, these are practices. Practices are made to be uh, repeated. And that is the repetition 
which lets the uh, movement occur. These aren't designed to just do once or twice, that's it. So um, you had a, a point there. I'm going to be uh, brief because I want, was almost ready to finish. So let's have this hopefully be a brief yeah, one. I don't think we can it's a brief one because I, I don't see the point of a lot of that. Uh, I don't see that if you're angry, I mean, you keep getting angry. What's, I mean, meditate all day long. It's still not a good situation. The same thing, road, road rage. You were obviously carrying it with you for many days. I, I'm reminded of that Cohen, which is where the priest, uh, the, right. the master, carried that girl across the street. The, uh, and she said, "You can't, master. You can't touch the woman. You know, it's against the rule." And they carried. They walked about another mile. Finally, she says, right. "He said, Master, why you care? Why did you touch her?" And he says, "I put her down back there. Why did you? Why are you right. still carrying her?" That's the. Uh, I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, maybe I'll just say a brief word about that. Yeah, um, we sometimes say, if you can let go sincerely without it being spiritual bypassing or you know, something falsely imposed, if you can let go, let go. If you can't let go, let be. Yeah. So it's something like that. So if one actually could let go in the moment, like that Zen teacher, great. If one can't, which is true for all of us in cert with certain situations or issues, then we try to work skillfully and we do practices. Maybe we're with the anger, maybe the anger stays. At a certain point with the practices, something gets worked through. But it may take a while, it depends on the intensity. So again, uh, if we can let go quickly, that's a great thing to do. But that's not, uh, that doesn't always work so well. Yeah, that's hard. So, thanks. Yeah, I do know that I've that read the Dalai Lama says anger is never a good thing, which is different from what I've heard some psychotherapists say. You know, the uh, the Dalai Lama you report <laughs> saying anger is never a good thing. The Dalai Lama said that before he had a conference and talked with psychotherapists. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is that true? Really. Mm. After which he changed his views. Wow. He said there are a lot of issues with the translation. Yeah. Because uh, in the Buddhist languages, I've actually had this talk with quite a number of Tibetan teachers as well. And, and uh, actually, in my book, I have a whole chapter on anger and wrote about some of these issues. I've been very interested in them. But yeah, he, uh, the word that's often translated as anger is uh, the word that we often translate with, uh, in, in greed, hatred, or delusion, we often translate the word for, um, uh, with, like, I think properly would be translated as, as hatred, it's dosa. And we often, it's often translated as anger. In that Buddhist context, it's totally negative. It's just reactive, pushing away aversion. And the Dalai Lama, um, has come to say that dosa should never be translated by anger. Mm. Anger is a little more complex. Certainly in the Western tradition, words that are related to anger were often quite positive. You know, Jesus gets angry, the Jewish prophets get angry, God gets angry. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So I rest my case. Very <laughs> <laughs> good company. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, anger is often connected with, and even in Catholic theology, you look up Thomas Aquinas, you'll see him talking about uh, anger being connected with, it, with justice. Right? So it's complex. The Dalai Lama concluded we should not translate with words in Western languages mm. such as anger, dosa, mm. where it's totally negative. And that's where he was coming from before he had that dialogue with a psychotherapist. And I've had that dialogue with several Tibetan teachers, and they've, they've uh, shifted how they talk about it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But thanks for the question. Heather, would you like a talk just on anger sometime? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And would you be angry if I don't do it? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Good. And you won't have the tools to work with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, okay. Let's just finish uh, with uh, setting our intention coming out of the morning. Maybe even next week. Maybe anger next week. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay.
So let's just sit with the intention which is there for you coming out of our session. Could be one of your intentions that you wrote down. Whatever is there for you as we finish the morning session. And then in closing, we offer again the benefits of our time together to all beings, knowing that we are again part of all beings ourselves. And may the, the, the uh, spiritual power of this day of uh, uh, Yom Kippur, if this resonates with you, be there for the whole day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.